You see, confession is an admission that you are not in control. And it's an admission that you don't have power to fix whatever it is you're seeking God's help in. Confession is the ultimate humility. God, I am not enough. And here I am anyway. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. So we are in this series, Life After Exile. What does life look like returning from a time away? A time separated from the community of faith, a time separated from the plans and the promises God has for us. And last week we focused on how this return from exile was centered in the joy of gathering The promise of being together in God's people where God had promised to meet them in that place and he was always there and when we gather together, when we commit ourselves to not sometimes gathering but regularly gathering, God does something in us and for us. Today we're continuing with another key theme throughout these books, the theme of prayer. Now, I don't know if this would work for all of you, but I'm certain for many of you, I could in a matter of about three seconds make you really, really uncomfortable this morning. And it looks like this. If I took this microphone and I walked up and said, today it's your turn to lead us in prayer. (laughs) How many of you would be a little shell-shocked and uncomfortable and squirm in your chair? When I used to do junior high ministry, I would take kids out for lunch on a regular basis and I would always pay for the meal and then afterwards, I'd say, well, I pay, you pray. And these junior high kids were just dumb struck, like, I have to do what now? Like, in front of people? I I tried this a couple weeks ago with a 12-year-old. I was having dinner at his house and I said, hey, how about you pray tonight? Like, no, I'm good. I'm okay. You see, there's something for most of us that makes prayer really uncomfortable. We we get afraid when it comes to praying because we're afraid, what if I don't pray the right things or the right words? Or what if I stumble or I sound silly? Surprise, shocker, I don't know if you know this. It doesn't matter. See, every one of us, if we are Christian, can pray. And the remarkable thing about Ezra and Nehemiah is you even see non-Christians requesting prayer. You see the pagan kings asking, I I don't know about this God that you're going to worship, but hey, will you pray that he blesses the things I'm doing? Like if your God really is as good as he says he is, will you just pray that he is good to me as well? For most of us as Christians, prayer is something that we're maybe comfortable with doing in private but we're certainly uncomfortable doing around other people. And if we're comfortable praying in private, 
Even then, we're only comfortable praying in private most of the time when things are going really rough. Like, I'm going to pray because I need God to do something right now. Most of the time, our prayers as Christian people are reactive. After something happens, let me respond by saying, I guess all that's left is for me to pray. But if we could reorient our view of prayer and reshift the conversation, not to what do you need to say or how do you need to get it right, but who is the God we're praying towards? If we can reshift our focus of prayer, I believe for every one of us, prayer will become not just really easy and natural, but really life-giving. Say, this is the thing I need each morning more than the oxygen I breathe or the breakfast I eat or the coffee I consume in copious amounts. This is the thing that will get me through the day. Prayer. Ezra and Nehemiah were both two men of prayer. While the first six chapters of Zerubbabel's story in Ezra, they don't really talk about prayer directly. There's some indirect references as they're describing the life of worship that they probably prayed in that context. But Ezra, there's several direct prayers that he shares, and Nehemiah has over 11 different times in this short book where he prays directly, God hears me coming before you. They were known as men of prayer in everything they did. And I wonder how our city might look different if we were known as people of prayer. So we're going to dive into one of Nehemiah's prayers today. We're going to look at the things he prays and see for us, life after exile, returning to God and the presence of his people. How might prayer change our lives? So we begin Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. If you want to use the Bibles in front of you, or there's some upstairs, I believe, it's on page 496. If you have your own Bible, I have no idea the page number. Uh, mine is 824. So, you know. here we go. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanai, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now just a little bit of context for you. We live in an age where walls have very different meanings and very different intentions and some political ramifications. However, for them, a wall was something significantly more than just a temporary barrier. You see, a city to, for a city to build a wall took an excruciating amount of resources and a lot of time. And so cities that had walls were considered to be well-established, and not just well-established cities, well-established communities, and even communities in some measure to be feared because the presence of their wall meant they had the capacity to do what not everyone could do. Likewise, walls provided significant protection because if your city was unwalled, it would be relatively easy for just about anybody to come in and take you over should they so desire. But if you had a well-fortified wall, 
You could defend yourself for two or three or more years at a time, no matter the strength of your enemy. Because this was before the day of some bombs you could drop from the air or planes you could fly overhead. No, this was a time where if you wanted to come through that wall, the only option was being right next to that wall and trying to beat it down. Or you could build a ramp and try to go up and over. Both take time. Time that allows for the watchman on the wall to shoot you with arrows, to fight against you, to try to protect the people. So for a city to have a wall was to declare to the world, this city not only is important, this city's here to stay. And the people of this city are here to stay. So Nehemiah, knowing that some of his brothers, some of the Jews who were in exile have now returned, he's hopeful. How are things going? Can you give me some good news? But instead he hears, they are in great trouble and shame, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates are destroyed by fire. Now, it's quite possible that in the uh, beginning to resettle as they were building the temple walls, or in their temple and the, the altar as they're rebuilding, it's quite possible they'd begun work on the wall itself. It's quite possible now that when he says the gates are destroyed by fire, this was some of the opposition that came against Zerubbabel and Ezra. So maybe they started to make progress but couldn't sustain it. Either way, Nehemiah, he's broken. And when we see the depth of his broken and what happens next, in verse 4 it says this, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah hears this really devastating news. Now his first response is to weep and to pray and to fast. I have to confess that oftentimes when I hear really devastating news, my first response is to question. Well, what happened? Can you tell me more? Can, can I learn more? Can I fix it? Can I help? Is there anything I can do? His first response is to weep and to pray. Is that your first response in times of trouble? He's weeping, he's fasting, he's praying, and then comes verse five. Actually, before we get to verse five, I'm gonna jump way ahead to verse 11, just the second half. After this prayer, there's this one little line that's just kind of thrown in there that I wanna highlight for a moment. After he prays, it says, now I was cupbearer to the king. And that's just the end of his prayer. It acts in this context as a transition piece, but there's something more to know here. See, the cupbearer was responsible for any time the king would have a drink, he would take a ladle of the drink and he'd pour it in his left hand and he'd drink from it to make sure it wasn't poisoned. But he wasn't just making sure that the drinks weren't poisoned. The, the cupbearer also, in many cases, had a lot more responsibility. Uh, there's some evidence of some individuals as cupbearer who would actually be responsible for the accounts of the king. They would reconcile the bank account. They'd make sure that what was supposed to be there was there. They would make decisions on behalf of the king when the king wasn't available. Nehemiah is in this position as cupbearer. But what I love about this story is it first tells us that his response was not what resources are at my disposal to try to fix this? What do I do to try to solve this? 
Though he was in a position of authority and power, his first response, let me pray. So now we'll go back to verse five. He says this, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. I'll pause there for just a moment. He begins his prayer by declaring to God, God, I know who you are. You're this great God. So now I'm coming before you and asking for your ear to be attentive and your eyes to be opened. I just want to flash back a little bit. That's language that we see elsewhere in scripture slightly different. Nehemiah in his prayer, he's looking back on the things he's learned about God, the things, the stories he's heard about God's moving and he's using that to inspire his prayer. See this echoes the prayer that was offered in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. After the first temple was created, Solomon dedicated the temple and he prays a prayer, God, let your eyes be open to look upon this place. Let your ears hear our prayers all day and all night. In fact, the only other place in scripture where that language of praying all day and night is used in a prayer is Solomon's prayer in that place, let God be present. Let all people know when they draw near that God is there. As or Nehemiah now, as he's praying, he's echoing some of that truth of scripture he already knows. There was a time before when God's presence changed everything. So here I am, God, in need of that presence again. Let your eyes be open towards me. Now, a little fun note for you. God answers Solomon's prayer in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And he takes and he repeats what Solomon prayed and God says, okay, if that's your prayer, so be it. And then he follows it up with this. He says this, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Solomon prays, God, whatever happens, may you be present. In Solomon's prayer, he says, God, if we go and do wicked things, then may bad things come to us. But if we turn to you, let us find you. And God's answer is just that. If my people will humble themselves, and seek my face. I'll bring healing. I'll give you the things you're asking and the things you need. Now I say both what you're asking and you need because what you're asking is not always what you need and sometimes what you're asking for is far less than what God wants to give. You're asking for something different than what he plans to do. So we come back to Nehemiah this language of God paying attention and listening, eyes open, ears hearing. He continues to pray. 
says this, he's confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. When we learn to pray, we need to begin here. Let's begin our prayer with our confession. God, I am incapable of doing this on my own. God, I'm not coming to you because I've got it all put together, because I'm perfect and have all the answers. I'm not drawing near because in anything I do, I gain favor or merit. God, I'm coming to you like a beggar desperate for bread, like a beggar who's got nothing to offer, one who's broken by my sins and in need of you. When we come to God from the place of confession, God hears my brokenness. That part of the response earlier, if my people would humble themselves, becomes our reality. You see, confession is an admission that you are not in control. And it's an admission that you don't have power to fix whatever it is you're seeking God's help in. Confession is the ultimate humility. God, I am not enough. But here I am anyway. So Nehemiah, he confesses his sins and the sins of the people around him. And then he continues his prayer in verse 8. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Nehemiah begins his prayer with confession. God, here I am in need of you. And then he continues, God, here's who you are. You are the faithful one who's already promised to restore. See, Moses happened hundreds of years before the exile. And yet God spoke to Moses, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you. But if you return to me, I will draw you back. I will restore you. I will recreate new life in you. When we come to God with humility in our prayer, God, I'm broken, we can also come to God with the confidence of the things he's done before. See, oftentimes the situation we're in is really hard to see the bigger picture. And I'm not going to say your pain and your sorrow is because God has a great plan for you, because I don't know. Sometimes your pain and your sorrow is just pain and sorrow, and it's really miserable. But what I will say is God has always been faithful, and he's always been for his people. Even before they sinned, he said, when you sin, this is what will happen but I will draw you back. I will restore and I will recreate. Long before you or I have ever sinned or been broken or walked through a season that was difficult, God knew. God was faithful to prepare everything we needed then that we can have everything we need now. 
Nehemiah, he begins with confession and he declares, God, I know your faithfulness. And then he continues with this last petition. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. See, Nehemiah had a plan before him. The walls of Jerusalem are broken. The people of God are not yet put back together. Things are not as they should be. And by the virtue of his position as cupbearer to the king, what happens next is Nehemiah was preparing to go before the king to ask, will you help our people? And so Nehemiah ends his prayer, God, hear my prayer and give success in the things I'm doing. Give me mercy and favor with this man I'm about to talk to. For you and I, there are things before us that we need to seek God about. Decisions to make relationships that are broken people we need to reconcile with. All kinds of things before us that on our own will fail. But if we begin by coming to God in prayer, before we ever take a step towards that, that thing we need to do or that relationship we need to fix, God, here I am. Will you give me success? Will you make sure this works well? That's not asking that it works the way you want, but that however it works out would be better than if you did it on your own. Nehemiah, he has this petition, and as the story unfolds, God answers his prayer and gives him this mercy, and he's able not only to go rebuild the wall, but to do it in record timing with resources provided by a pagan king. Imagine the impossible, and then imagine the God who can make that happen. And so when we, as his people, commit ourselves to prayer, it's really, really simple. We don't need all these fancy words. We don't need all this elaborate understanding of scripture. All that we need is an understanding that we cannot, but he can. So we come with whatever words we have, whatever struggles we're dealing with, whatever needs are before us, just offer them to God. One of the things that I love about Nehemiah and Ezra and their prayer life is time and time again, they're praying not only for themselves, but for the people around them. They're praying for others to be just as blessed and benefiting from God's presence as they are. They're praying for others to connect with God as they are. They're praying for the whole community. And through that, God moves. I want to encourage and challenge each of you today. Who do you need to be praying for? What impossible obstacle is standing before you that only God can do something about? Bring healing for that place that's hurting. Help you to forgive that person who you don't want to forgive. Maybe restore that situation you think is too far gone. And then I want to ask, who do you need to pray for? You see, if, if you know that God loves you, everything can be on the table. 
Here I am, God, in need of you. A couple days ago, I saw a Facebook post that was uh, really encouraging. I want to share with you today. You see, every one of us needs somebody who's praying for us, and every one of us needs to be praying for others. And a couple days ago, this post was uh, posted by Jessica Ray, who's singing earlier, and I just wanted to share it. It's great, all right? Talking to her three-year-old, do you know who prays for you? Adam prays for me. Yes, Adam loves you so much. He absolutely prays for you. Who else? Um, Miss Becky prays for me. This three-year-old, we've had kids point now for three weeks, four weeks, sees my kids point leader prays for me. This three-year-old sees here's somebody who cares for me, somebody who's there in all times. And I share this with you because I wonder this. Tomorrow, when you go home, who's praying for you? When things at work get really tough, who cares for you? See, if you don't have those people right now on the top of your mind, or the people that you're praying for today and tomorrow, if you don't have them right there, this is my prayer for you today. Maybe that's where your prayer life needs to begin. God, who can I turn to in my time of need? And who can I pray for in their time of need? And come before God with a simple admission, I don't know what I'm doing, but you do. So here I am. When we as the church can be this kind of people, wherever we go and whatever we do, we can do it with this great confidence. It says, God, you are a good father in all things. Will you join me today in prayer? God, we come before you. We thank you that you have called us to be a people of prayer. When we weep, when we mourn, when we're overwhelmed with the state of this world, you have called us into your presence. So let your eyes be open and your ears attentive. May we be humble enough to confess our brokenness, the limits of our own ability, our failures, and our sins. May we stand on the promises of the things you have done and the things you will do. God, may we hope against all odds. And Lord, we ask that as you hear our prayer, you would prompt us to pray for those around us, those who are hurting and in need, those who are far from you to draw near to you. God, would we pray for those that you have placed in our lives? And would we seek others to pray for us, to stand in the gap with us between heaven and earth, say we can't do this alone. God, may we be a people in all things who are not afraid to pray be it before a meal, or in times of trouble, or in times of joy. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Now last week, I asked all of you to pull out your phones and, and take a moment and fill out a Connect card. And I asked you to do that so that I could follow up and connect with you and, and really begin to be present with you in your times of need. And, and you guys were great and you responded. And most of you, a lot of you filled one out. So many that uh, for the first time ever, I didn't actually get the opportunity to respond to all of you this week. 
So for those of you who did not hear from me this week, warning, you're going to this week, okay? Uh, but now I want to ask you to do the same thing, but for a little different purpose. So will you pull out your phones for me today? All right. I see about half of you pulling out phones and the other half are like this again. Yes, this again. You're welcome. Don't worry. The food trucks are ready. You can have food in just a moment. Pull out your phones. Take a moment and fill out this Connect card. You see, it's not just so we can connect with you. At the bottom of this Connect card, there is an opportunity for us to pray with you. What is it you're going through? What impossible do you need God to say yes to? Where do you need care and comfort that we can be alongside you to say you are not alone? There are people in this church who've committed themselves to praying for your needs each and every day. So will you take a moment and fill that Connect card out and pray in that prayer request form, put something we can pray for you. And if you're like, I, I don't know what I need prayer for, then put someone who does. Who in your life needs prayer? Can we pray with you? for them. As you fill that out, we're going to collect our offering. And in this place, you can give your offering in two ways, either with cash or check in the back in the popcorn buckets. Or if you prefer to give electronically, you can do so at thepointknox.com. You just click on the little teal button in the bottom corner, and that'll help you give safely and securely online. Now, however you give and whatever you give, Know this, your giving does not change God's response to your prayer. We don't give to earn his favor or merit. No, we give because he loves us and has invited us to join him in connecting with others and making a difference. So however you give and whatever you give, know this, God loves you and so do I. If you're somebody who finds prayer really natural or somebody who wants to learn how to make prayer more natural, uh, I would love for you to sign up to join our prayer team and you would be informed every time somebody fills out, here's how you can pray for me, and then you could join in praying for them. So if that's you, uh, with that connect card or telling me in person, you can sign up and be a part of that as well. Now is the time where I get to respond as best as possible to your questions. Any, any big doozies today? I think I think that I think you'll be good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think I'll be good. Um, yeah. First things first. The Second Chronicles seven fourteen verse is often used as a call to prayer and repentance to American Christians. Is this applicable to the United States, or was it specifically written to Israel? The answer to that question is yes. It was specifically written to Israel. So we have to be careful when we take it out of context to say God will heal our land, like make our nation great and prosperous and stuff. Not so much. That's not what it's about. However, as the people of God, the nation of Israel extended through Jesus to Gentiles like you and me, yes, when we humble ourselves, God will hear it. When we pray, he responds. And he may not respond by making you prosperous and thriving in every way possible, but he will respond and hear your prayers. So if you're using it in the context of America is the new Israel, maybe not. If you're using it to say we as the people of God know that God will answer us, absolutely. Next question. In today's video, they talked about the Torah. Is the Torah the Old Testament's version of the Bible? How are the Torah and the Bible alike, and how do they differ? That's great. Uh, so the Torah is technically, it means the law 
Uh, It's the law of God, and so that refers to the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. For Jewish people, the Torah, those five books are like the foundation of everything they believe, everything God has promised, everything God has commanded of them. And so for us, the law of God is still applicable and beneficial and relevant. All of those books are really good, but now we read all of that through the lens of what Jesus has done, that those laws have been fulfilled, that we have been forgiven, and now he invites us into a whole different life where we see those laws not as commands and things that we, if we don't do, we're out, but actually as opportunities to experience him every day. That might invite talking more, some more questions (laughs) later, but uh, that's the Torah, those five books, and uh, it's still good for us today. I like to think I saved the hardest for last. Thank you. There are larger words in this one, so that's how I determine. Uh, I read that there is a disagreement, that's disagreement, that was pretty long, between different denominations on which comes first, the rapture or the tribulation. What is the LCMS, that's our church, what is the LCMS position on this, and do you believe we are in the tribulation now? Great question. I was right, right? That was the hardest one? No? Okay. At least the biggest words. Uh, So what... Does the rapture of the tribulation come first? Um, Our answer is no. Um, As Lutherans, we believe what's called amillennialism. Basically, uh, really to make that simple, we believe that all of Revelation is not to be read in a literal, uh, depictive, here's things to come in a chronological order, but rather that all of Revelation was written as a style, a genre, to reveal something greater, something more, something that we're actually in the midst of right now. Uh, We don't believe the rapture is a real thing, so whether it comes before or after the tribulation doesn't matter because we don't believe that. Um, But as far as are we in the tribulation, absolutely and also not yet. (laughs) Meaning, uh, the tribulation began the moment Jesus ascended into heaven. We saw this with the persecution of Christians uh, for thousands of years, hundreds of years and, and beyond. We saw all kinds of trouble and famine and earthquakes and plagues, all these problems Uh, that were promised would come. So yes, we're in the midst of that. But it's also not yet in that we know things are going to get tough. And and there may come times that are tougher than right now, and there may come times that are not as bad as right now, whether we're suffering greatly or we're overall doing pretty well. um, We know our hope lies not in being taken away from all of this pain, but in a God who's come into the midst of our pain and promised to redeem and restore and recreate all that is broken. So we continue to pray the prayer that's at the very end of Revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus, for on that day everything that is broken will be made new and all that is uh, in need of repair will be restored. And that'll be great. Is that it? That's all the questions for today. Wonderful. Well, for those of you who are chomping at the bit, ready for some uh, food trucks, please stick around and enjoy the food. Remember to tip as if you're uh, not a Christian going out after church on Sunday, (laughs) uh, but literally anybody else going out on Sundays. Uh, Also remember that um, we have a lot of neighbors who are unhoused and, and don't have a place to go. They may want some food. You're welcome to buy them food and invite them to join you for the meal and talk with them. 
or you're welcome to say no because there's a couple of places right around the corner they can get food. If you don't know what those places are, I'll gladly point them in the right direction. So whatever you prefer to do is more than welcome. I just ask you stick around. There'll be a cooler full of some drinks in the back uh, and have a great day. Before you go receive this blessing, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.